Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. We've got an exciting service today, but I'll warn you in advance, it's a hard passage. And it's not a hard passage to understand, but it's a hard passage to live out. It's one of these uh, passages where you go, do we really believe the gospel or not? Are we really willing to live out in a way that's so different than other people in the world? If you got your Bibles, turn to Romans 12. Turn to Romans 12. We're, we're gonna look at that second half of the, the chapter 14 on. And, l- and last week we looked at how, how to love those who are part of the family of God, how to love each other. And that was challenging enough. But now Paul's gonna extend it and go, how do we live out this transformed life? Remember, we're not being shaped like the rest of the world, but because of the gospel, Jesus is changing us from the inside out. And so how do we live that out in a world, frankly, where around us we see people that do the wrong thing, we see evil, and we feel the effects of it? And so as you look at it today, in fact, the very last verse of the chapter Look at it, 1221, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And and it took a moment just to recognize the reality of evil in the world. And and when we use that term, I'm I'm not talking about, you know, sometimes we caricature evil. It's like Dr. Evil, you know, with it. And it's this uh, term that in an educated world today, do we really believe in personified evil? Uh, I was reading Scott Simon is an NPR reporter, a journalist. And and he said that's where he had reached. He's an educated man and evil's kind of, you know, a sense of a moral evil in the world. He didn't know if he'd go to those extremes until he kept reporting on things around the world. And a few years ago, when he, he was sitting there with his daughters and they're watching a scene from Syria where, where chemical weapons were dropped on homes and families and children. And his daughter said, why would they do that? And he said in that moment, the the only thing that really bubbled up, the only thing that seemed real as an answer is it's evil. There is real evil in the world. I remember reading the biography of Romeo Dallaire. He was the, the general in charge of the UN peacekeeping force that went into Rwanda and he was there from 93, 92 and 93, right after the genocide right after 800,000 Tutsis had been killed by fellow Rwandans. And, and as he described, in fact, his biography is to shake hands with the devil. Because he went in with that same kind of mentality of, you know, I've seen a lot in the world, but he went in and he said, I have no way to describe what happened here and why people treated each other that way beyond the fact it was not only evil, it's personified evil. He said, I absolutely believe in the devil. I've seen the impact of it. If you look at it, there's a battle between good and evil in the world. That's why Paul says, don't be overcome by evil. Don't don't let it overcome, but you actually are going to overcome it. And I'll just remind you, when Jesus prayed for us, when he prayed for his disciples the night before his crucifixion, key part of his prayer, look what he says. He says, I've given them your word, And the world's hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I mean, he says, I'm sending them out with your truth, your word, God. 
And frankly, there's a large part of the world, they, they don't like your truth. They actually hate it and they're gonna hate them. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. This is a key line. He, he, he says, I'm not asking that you help them go form a fortress somewhere so they can live in community and love each other and keep the big bad world out. He goes, no, that's not what I'm calling you to do. I, I'm asking though, that you keep them from the evil one. And he's talking about Satan. There's a real evil one who directs these forces of evil. They're not of the world as I'm not of the world. So Jesus, as he's praying for us, think about that. As he's praying for his disciples, as we go out, and there's a lot in that prayer of, I want them to go out into the world. I don't want them to, to huddle alone with that. I want them, and when they do that, they're gonna interact with people who are directed by evil forces, even the evil one. And so his prayer for us is God protect them from the evil one. Now, as I say that, we, we don't have to be afraid because again, as John tells us, little children, you're from God and you've overcome them. He who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. So this isn't a fear-based thing that we look at it and we go, man, we gotta be scared all the time. We don't have to be scared, but we do need to be aware. And sometimes I think even as Christians, we kind of live in a modern educated age and we underestimate the impact and the power of evil. And so Paul looks at us, he says, hey, you, you need to be aware. Don't be overcome by evil that's in the world. But you'll notice as we go through this passage, he's not just talking about that bad evil out there. He wants to make sure when we say overcome by evil, we don't allow evil to overcome us in here. And so the second part of it, you'll see there's a battle between good and evil. It's not just out there, it's also in me. We saw it early in Romans. Remember when Paul said, Romans 7, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. I have, I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. And if I do not do what I want, it is no longer I who does it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul says there's a real struggle we have and it's easy anytime you talk about evil, it's like, oh, evil out there, those bad people. He says, oh no, man, look internally. I've always been struck by that, uh, that quote by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And Solzhenitsyn, who was a, a Russian dissident who stood up against communism, as a result, he was sent to the gulag. He was sent to the concentration camps. And, and his writings that came out, he's finally exiled to the East. And, and when he was exiled, his writings came out. One of the things he discovered when he was there in prison, because he was thinking about the evils of communism and all that he was facing in it. And what God revealed to him, and it's interesting quote, he says, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, not between political parties either, but right through the human heart and through all human hearts that all of us have to recognize. And this is the line. Now, as Christians, we've been transformed. Remember, we talk about this whole thing, it's from the inside out. But living out this transformed faith, and the key part of this is gonna be, how do I respond to evil in the world in a way that I don't become like the very thing I'm fighting? And I think it's one of the key lessons we need to learn in this current culture today. So as we say that, remember Jesus told, taught us to pray. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Jesus thought this was such a a present concern for Christians that he said, hey, when I'm teaching you how to pray and what should be a part of your prayer life, a consistent part of your prayer life should be around this issue of evil. A consistent part of your prayer life is, one, I don't want to go into temptation, so I don't want to do evil within me. In the same way, I need a deliverance from God, from the evil in the world, but also the evil that is in me. Now, we've been talking about it kind of in the theoretical concept of evil. Now, I want to go back in the chapter and go through, as we face these different forms of evil and the way they impact us, you'll notice in it, each time Paul is telling us, how do you respond to it? How do you respond to what's being done to you? See, that's a key part of it is, one, I'm not allowing the evil to overcome us. We don't get swarmed by it. Remember, greater is he who's in us. But I'm also not allowing my heart to become like the very thing I'm fighting. And I'm not allowing it to overwhelm me. Look at the different categories he gives us. Here's the first one. When persecuted. When you're persecuted. And so you look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Bless those who persecute you. When we're talking about persecution, we're talking about um, you're experiencing ill treatment based on your faith. And it can be all different forms. I mean, it can be overt persecution like brothers and sisters on the planet right now who try to do what we're doing right now. Worship together and gather together, they're persecuted for. Some are killed for it. Some are imprisoned for it. Some face social structure with it. All all the way down, it can be you're being persecuted in your own family for it. You feel a certain level of persecution at your job for it. That as a Christian, you you know it holds you back or or it's held against you in that. Now, as we say this, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Uh, There's a key part, as Christians, we should expect it. I think for us, and, and we've been so spoiled, if you'll have it, of living in a nation in a way where there's a huge impact of people that believe like we do, as that starts changing and we start feeling that, we, man, we raise the alarm bell like something has gone horribly wrong. How could this have ever happened? And, and if you go back to the early church, look what Paul said. He said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Look, look at that line. Anyone who wants to live this godly life, anybody who's trying to live out their faith the way that Jesus calls us to, should expect persecution. Especially while evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He says, especially when you live in a culture of people that notice how he describes them, they've been deceived. They've been deceived by lies. They've been deceived by an ideology. They've been deceived. And, and so as they start exerting their power more in that culture, of course you're gonna feel it that much more because you start standing out. You're trying to live a godly life. And the very definition of what is godly is looked at by those who've been deceived is how could you believe that way? How could you think that way? How could you say that? And there's persecution. Now, I I say that for this line and really want to point this out. Paul just lived with the expectation of it. And the early church lived with the expectation. Guys, they faced every form of persecution. 
They faced social persecution. They faced persecution in their families and their homes with that. That was just part of being a Christian in that time period. And so Paul goes, yeah, we, we've just embraced that part. We're not surprised. Doesn't mean they want it. If you read through scripture, in fact, he's gonna call on this passage. You're not looking for it. You don't go out of your way to get it. But, but when it happens, you don't get overly alarmed. In fact, you, you might be able to step back and go, oh, okay, God, man, you're calling me to stand out because I am standing on these principles of what Christ has called us to. Notice in this verse, look, look what the natural response. He says, when you're persecuted, our natural response is to curse them. He's not talking about cussing here. You know, I wanna cuss them out. You may wanna cuss them out. That's not what he's warning against here. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's the desire for God's punishment on them. But I, I'm being persecuted. What they're doing is wrong and it's clearly wrong and it's evil. He's already called it evil. So God, get them. Man, I can't wait till God rubs their faces in it. And Paul said, no, actually don't curse them. Don't desire God's punishment on them. It's a good thing to always check your heart. If you have anybody in the world that you're just going, man, I want God to punish them. And that's a check on you because something's happening in you. Because remember this battle with evil is not just the battle out there. If anything, Paul's focusing on the battle in here. And so what does he tell us to do? This transform, I call it transform because it's not natural. Remember this whole thing is built out of the gospel, the first 11 chapters, and then Romans 12 too, when he says you're not conformed, you're not shaped like everybody else, you're being transformed. God's doing something in you that's not natural. So the, the, the unnatural but transformed response is you bless them or you desire God's best for them. You want God's blessing on their life instead of cursing them, instead of wanting them to be punished and punished now and punished hard. This is hard. In that moment, especially when you're feeling it, this doesn't come naturally. And by the way, it wasn't just Paul that, that said it, Jesus. When he said, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what comes natural. Love your neighbors, hate enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Oh, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Isn't the most base people out there, don't they do that if they just love those who love them? And so you guys, remember it's transformed, it's not natural. So you don't respond like natural people do. You respond in a way that only God could do in you. So in that moment, I think one of the key lines I'd, I'd really encourage you if you struggle with, if you have someone in your life like this, notice he says, pray for them first. Start by praying for them. It's amazing how your heart can change when you pray for someone. And, and in that moment, instead of just that negative thought, it's like, okay, I'm gonna start praying for them. I, I had it this morning, this morning. I was thinking about this sermon. I was driving here. As I was driving here, passed by something that reminded me of someone I am struggling with. And I immediately went negative. I'm sitting there thinking negative thoughts and, and like the Holy Spirit said, oh really? Why don't you pray for them? 
And, and in the moment, I said, okay, I know I need to pray for him, but I'm enjoying the negative. Can I just sit here for this for just a little bit longer? And I just had to stop and go, oh, I gotta pray for him, Donna. And, and I'll tell you, I prayed for them. And this isn't some like magic formula. I prayed for them and now I love them in my heart. No, I don't. It's a process. In fact, I could go negative real quick here. But that's why I, I have to keep applying this and go, okay, I gotta pray. I gotta keep praying for them. Because this doesn't come naturally to me. Look at the second category of it. When you're wrong, when you're wrong, look, look how he puts it in it. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. See, this natural thing of that repayment. So evils happen to you, evils in the world. And, and that it could be a general term. It could be major evil, but it could just be somebody's wronged you. They did the wrong thing towards you. They hurt you. And, and he says, give thought to what to do, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So here, here's what he's teaching us. The natural response in this is do the same thing to them. You did this to me, and so I do this back to you. You said a snarky comment, so now I get to say a snarky comment. You hurt me, I hurt you. You cheated on me, now I'm free to cheat on you. I mean, that, that's what comes to us. It's like the, the door of permission has been opened. And because I'm the one responding, I mean, it's like breaking up two kids fighting. What, what happens if your kids are fighting? What do they always say? I didn't start it. So that justifies everything. You know, I've been pummeling him for five minutes, but I didn't start it. And we have that natural part of us. That's what comes natural, this back and forth. Uh, Miroslav Volf is a theologian. He, he says, to triumph fully, evil needs two victories, not one. The first victory happens when an evil deed is perpetrated. The second victory, when evil is returned. After the first victory, evil would die if the second victory did not infuse it with new life. And I, I found this true. I found this true in relationships and partnerships and friendships that have reached that point, especially marriage relationship. This principle of when you got to repay evil for evil, you did that, so I got to do that. It allows the evil to live on. What does Paul say in this transform response? He says, do the right thing no matter who sees it. Remember that line? He says, do what's honorable in the sight of all. So someone has done something to you before you naturally respond, because you, your natural response is they've done that, I now have permission to do the same to them. Paul says, no, stop in that moment and ask yourself what I'm about to say, what I'm about to do, if anybody out there saw it, would they say that's the right thing? Would I have to explain myself? Because when they look at your comment, they look at what you did and they go, man, I can't believe you did that. And you go, no, 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 you gotta understand. This is what they did to me first. If you heard what they said first, let me show you the whole text chain. You gotta see all of it. See, I'm having to explain why I did that. Paul says, why don't you just clear it up? Whatever you do, do it in a way that whoever saw it, they would go, yeah, that was the right thing. Guys, this is actually a great principle for all of life, 
for how you conduct your business, for how you treat people. If you just think about it and go, anybody who's about to see this, anybody who's about to read this, anybody who had access to what I'm doing in this moment, would they say that's the honorable thing, that's the right thing? And especially in this, when I'm in it and the heat of it and I feel it and I wanna repay it, I stop and I go, okay, wait a second. Would this be considered the right thing to say no matter what? And, and I'll just remind you is that God sees it no matter what. God sees it no matter what. So often in counseling, I'll, I'll you know, have a couple and one of them has been deeply hurt. Either the spouse has cheated on them or something. And, and you, you wrestle through those emotions in that safe space. They need a safe space where they can let that stuff out and you can talk to them and walk through it. But there's always that point where you have to turn it and go, are you gonna stay trapped in this? Are you gonna choose to repay? Or would you step forward and go, I'm gonna do the right thing no matter what they do. There, there's amazing freedom that comes that my right response is no longer bound by your wrong actions. The freedom of life, of choosing to do the right thing. And I, I'm, I'm gonna get off the, the crazy merry-go-round with you. I'm not gonna keep doing this same dance with you over and over again. You do that and that. I'm, I'm just gonna choose to do right. And if you'll choose to do that, the freedom that comes out of that. As you look at it, look at the third category, when you're in conflict, you're in conflict with someone. And not all conflict is bad, but there's a level of conflict, especially someone who's not reasonable or they're evil in it. And, and so he says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, as far as it depends on you. And so, and so in this, the natural response is, I wanna fight to win at all costs. I want to fight to win at all costs. I mean, I am in conflict. I am in it to win it. And, and you look at it and you go, yeah, but what will be the result of winning? I don't care. I'll feel good about winning. And again, this, this can get reduced down to smaller conflicts in a home and a relationship to bigger conflicts. And, and in that, that, that's what comes naturally to all of us. Look what Paul says instead. He says, choose to make peace where possible. You choose to make peace. That's what Jesus said as well. Remember he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, guys, peace isn't something that just happens. And so peace doesn't just happen because we both acquiesce or I just always give in. That's not what he's saying out of this. But you're choosing out of it, instead of I'm gonna put another log on the fire, I'm gonna keep stoking this fight, I'm gonna keep contributing, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove that I was right and I was initially right no matter what. He says, if possible, what would it look like if you made peace instead? That you chose to be the peacemaker. Now, let me be real clear, because sometimes verses like this, and there's some verses in scripture that have been used in, in bad ways to put people and keep people in toxic situations. Some of you, you're in a very toxic relationship. Some of you, you're in an abusive relationship. Some of it, you may be a woman in a home, and, and you can see a verse that you say, okay, I'm supposed to make peace. I just let them do what they're supposed to do. I just need to abide in this. I just need to accept it. That's not what he's saying. 
this verse does not give carte blanche that someone can be abusive in your life and do these things in your life and you're just supposed to make peace in that. That's not what Paul's talking about. Some people are so at war with themselves, you can't live in peace with them. And so that's part of the reason he said, where possible, Notice he, he, he doesn't say that you have to do it at all times because some people won't let you make peace with them. And so in those cases where possible, I'm trying to make peace. The greatest peace you could have is to have some healthy boundaries. To go, we, we can't do this because you're so at war and you're gonna suck me into war or you're gonna put me in a hurtful situation or a toxic situation. I, I'm choosing to have healthy boundaries as a sign of making peace because we're not gonna be able to do this. Some of you are so at war with yourself or you're at war with someone else and here's the hard reality, they moved on a long time ago and you're still at war and you need to make peace. Some of you are at war with, with someone who left your life years ago. Some of you are at war with someone who's died and, and, and you need to come and go, okay, how do I make peace? How do I embrace what God's doing in my life that maybe they never changed? Maybe they never did. Maybe they never asked for forgiveness. Maybe they never became what I would hope they would become or came back to me and made right with it. They may not, you can still experience peace. Why? Because you're not dependent on them. Remember, we're dependent on Christ and he's transforming me. Matt Woodley talks about a friend of his named Steve. Steve was not a Christian because he couldn't believe that God would forgive all of his sins. He said, maybe 70, 80%, but he said, I've got things in my life that I'm holding on to. He said, I, I had a, a guy that my wife ran off with and I hate his guts. They had an affair and then she left me for him. And about that same time, I was struggling with anger and he assaulted a police officer he said, I, I remember standing there at my trial and there he is in the gallery and he's smirking at me the whole time and he starts flipping me off as I'm being sentenced. He said, I've waited 19 years. And, and with cool calculation, he said, he's coming up here next month. I have a 32 strap to my ankle. The moment I see him, I'm gonna kill him. And here's how I figure it. I'm 63 years old. I'll go to prison. I'll at least have a place to stay. I'll have meals. And I will have taken care of him. Now, if you're a pastor, what do you say in that moment? <laughs> Don't shoot him. <laughs> so, so Matt looked at him and he said, oh, you can shoot him. But you're not gonna be at peace. You've been in jail for 19 years. He hasn't. Now, I'm not talking about the physical jail. I'm talking about the one in your heart. I'm talking about the one that eats you up. I'm talking about the fact that you will carry this the rest of your life, regardless of what happens to him. Because you're not dealing with it. Steve left. Took him a few days, but then called him back. And he said, you're right. I don't want to kill him, but I do want peace. Can you tell me about Jesus? Folks, some of you need peace. 
somebody hurt you, somebody did wrong, somebody left you. And, and, and the more you just live in that natural response of the natural hate and the natural frustration and all that, you're not gonna experience what frankly is gonna take Jesus transforming. See, where possible we live in peace, where we need to make peace, we make peace. Trusting him in that. Look at the fourth category, and this is where it even gets harder. Because now we move to a level of abuse, something that's wrong in it. Look how he puts it. He says, beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And he says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And you, you might read that last part and you said, I like the burning coals thing. I would like to do that. Doesn't mean what you think it means out of this. Look, look at this. He says, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. And so as you, you look at this, here's this natural response is we want revenge. And, and by the way, that, that reason we feel that is we were created in the image of a just God. We wanna see justice in the world. This was wrong, there should be justice. There should be things that move us. That, that's why Hollywood knows this formula well, they know us. You, you see the movie, or you probably don't, but I see the movies, you know, the guy who they kidnap his daughter or the guy, you know, they kill his dog at the beginning or the whole thing, they set the whole thing up that all these bad people have done bad things to him so that for the next hour of the movie, he can just kill bad guys. And we feel good about it. We're like, yeah, kill him. They killed his dog, kill him. What is that in us that, that, that likes that? There's this innate sense of justice we have in that. The justice isn't wrong, it's being exerted the wrong way. And that's what Paul says to believers, you don't have to avenge. You don't have to seek revenge out of it. You're gonna do something more radical. You're gonna trust God. And so you release your desire for vengeance by trusting God's justice, trusting the wrath of God. See, here's the amazing thing about God. God can be a God of justice and so that nothing escapes him. Nothing goes unpunished, guys, nothing. And he has the ability to hold on the wrath of God without that wrath consuming him. We don't. We get so angry and then anger overtakes our life because we're not God. And so God says, hey, I know it was unjust. I know it was wrong. I know you were hurt. I know someone should pay. And so trust me with my justice. He says, vengeance is mine. And what he's saying is, that's my domain. I take care of that. And he's got different means of executing that. In this lifetime, we're gonna see in the very next chapter, he said, I've put authorities in place. I put governments, I put armies, I put policemen in place. And we'll see in the next chapter, he says, bad people should be afraid. So it's not like he says, oh, we don't care about justice. He says, oh, I, very, I care very deeply about justice. It's just not yours to execute. And so you're gonna have to trust me with it. And you're gonna have to release it to him. And, and then if you wanna do something really radical, 
where possible, show kindness with hope of repentance. That whole thing when he said, show kindness to them, feed them, help them. It's like burning coals on their head. Um, it's, he's quoting Proverbs there. And, and it was a, a, a proverb principle of, even though you've done the wrong thing to me, I'm gonna show kindness with the hope that it'll stir up repentance in your heart. The hope that, like a burning coal coming on you, that you go, oh, this hurts. How could the person who I've done wrong treat me this way? And hopefully they would come to repentance and not experience the punishment they deserve. That they would experience the grace that we've experienced as well. Here's what you know in that though, as you show that kindness, it is gonna produce one of two things. It's either gonna produce repentance in their life or even greater condemnation. As they stand before the judgment of God and not only for what they did, but their response to the kindness that was in their life, they even got harder over it. I told you these are hard verses. These are hard things to live in this way. And even as we close out, there's probably a few people in the room that wouldn't say, I've got somebody in my life that stirs up these kind of feelings. There's many of us that maybe it's a, an enemy you've had, maybe it's somebody that hurt you in the past. And for some of you, some of you face the kind of abuse and heartache that this runs deep. And so I, I don't preach these words lightly. But I do call you to this truth for your sake. You wanna be free you want to experience peace. You don't want to be trapped that your life, your right actions are always bound by the wrong responses of anyone else out there. And I'd say this collectively for the church as we live in a culture that frankly, I just see evil running rampant in so many ways. And I can get angry and I can, all the different things. And these verses have been good for me that I go, okay, wait a second. In a fight against evil, I don't want to become like the very thing I'm fighting. And so Jesus, I need you to do something in me that I would respond differently to them than anyone else in the world. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for the, uh, the hard truth of it, of living this out. And I gotta believe there's, there's people in this room right now, they are in the middle of conflict. They are in the middle of persecution. They are in the middle of dealing with some wounds that are fresh and some that are old. Lord, we, we preach this and we believe this because of Jesus, because of the gospel, because of what he's done in us. And so I pray, would you give us the courage and the power and the strength of your Holy Spirit to respond in a transformed way instead of what comes naturally to us. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.